The last of the major pro sports leagues is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. Bet Online remains your top spot for all the live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are all in full swing. Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action, along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to the Bet Online website today and remember to use your promo code BLEAV, that's BELIEVE, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for in depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission to keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. It's a very special episode of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, and it's always special when we're able to welcome back longtime friend of the program, Mike Stachura, Senior Editor of Equipment over at Golf Digest. Mike, how you doing? Great, Adam. How about you? I'm doing well, man. Um, nothing, like I said before we got going here, man, just causing a stir on a Friday night news drop about this golf ball rollback announcement coming next week. That, that's pretty wild, huh? Well, I, I mean, I think... Obviously, that's been in works, and and if you paid attention to what uh, uh, Martin Slumbers, the CEO of the RNA, said last week, you know, he kind of hinted that something was coming, and then he hinted what wasn't coming. So that kind of narrowed down the the options, and it, it, you know, I I, I don't. Uh, I don't dispute the fact that I have a lot of connections and but i wouldn't necessarily say that i had to uh uh embark on uh woodward and bernstein to get at this uh, yeah. uh obviously the there are there are folks who are very interested in and in, very involved in what this might mean and and so it it, it uh one le- one thing led to another and and we kind of got to the point where you know, we know it's coming and we know what it is. So uh, let's let's go with it. Uh, great team of editors helping me make it happen. But uh, in, at the end of the day, I don't think anybody's really surprised that they were going to do something. Right. I think a lot of people are surprised uh, the way this thing appears to be uh, headed to, to a rollout. Yeah. And it, I'm surprised I'm one of those people uh, and we'll get into it, of course, but just to kind of level set for uh, for some of the viewers and listeners, um, you and I have been talking for a while and I'm going to bring up a graphic here, Mike. I was kind of researching one of the earlier times when we talked, this was five years ago. We were talking about the golf ball distance debate back in 2018. I mean, so uh, clearly this has been a topic that has been ongoing. I mean, before we get into your article and before the the preemptive uh, or the eventual announcement next week, distance is such a premium topic of conversation among golfers. Why is that when we talk about the two worlds of golf? We've got the pro side, of course, and then we've got regular guys like me and you. I mean, uh, why is distance such a big deal? I mean, basically, I think it is the boundaries of the playing field, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, if you can imagine if somebody went to a historic baseball stadium and and 
every game there were 30 home runs hit. Right. There, there would be kind of this disconnect between those who knew baseball in the 50s and those who are watching it now, and they would say, "We that's the game we wanted back in the 50s. And then there's another group that's saying, what's wrong with this? That's just where we are today. And and so right. there's the natural boundary question, and, and obviously golf courses have, have uh, gone to some lengths over time to continue to expand to, to sort of respond to distance at the elite level. And I think the the sort of unknown, unspoken aspect of this is the group that is concerned about distance and, and believes that it either needs to be reined in in some way or even reversed somehow, hasn't completely explained the fear behind what they don't like. In other mm -hmm. words, what's what's the what's the great great tragedy, and 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 clearly they acknowledge that this is not a problem for ninety nine point nine percent of the golfing world. Uh, but to their credit, they believe there should be this kind of connection between the elite game and any other level of the game, and that historically has been uh, the great appeal of golf that we're all playing essentially the same game. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's, that's why distance has, you know, depending on whatever ad adjective you want to put on it is, is prickly or a crisis or, uh, you know, the end of the world as we know it. And, and so I, I think right. that's, that's a, uh, there, there's this, there's a disconnect between elite and, and average golfers, and yet there's this universal connection at the same time. And how do you answer both of those things if you see one as a problem and the other not as a problem? Mm. So I think, obviously, yeah. the, the, the ruling bodies, bodies have, have uh, wrestled with this for, I think it's close to 100 years, really. And mm. uh, I, I think the, the, the challenge that they faced is if we if we break that connection, how do we solve the universal appeal? And if we maintain that connection, how do we protect the the sort of limited playing field that that our greatest athletes, golfers are performing on? Yeah, yeah, fair, very fair. And so your article that that dropped last night, and here's another graphic. It's the USGA RNA to announce universal golf uh, ball rollback next week. Let's talk a little bit about what the rollback actually means. So for my understanding and for the listener's sake, I mean, this isn't necessarily the USGA saying you manufacturers have to change the ball. It's just that we're actually changing the parameters of the testing. Is, is that pretty accurate? Based, based on my reporting, what I know, what, what I, I believe is going to be the case, obviously the, the governing bodies have decided to look at distance. And one of the early proposals was we're, we're going to change this test, what we call the overall distance standard, which is a very complicated test, but in its simplest form, a golf ball hit by a driver on a, a robot can't go farther than 317 yards plus three uh, when the robot swings at 120 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. 
the change that uh, that we think is happening next week is that that test, instead of at 120 mile an hour club head speed, will be at 125 miles an hour. And there's a whole series of things where uh, the original proposal uh, earlier this spring was we're going to change it to 127, and it's only going to apply to golf balls used in professional tours and other elite amateur events. Mm -hmm. It was called a model local rule. Right. The sort of fundamental change that, that we're anticipating happening next week is this idea of a model local rule will be a temporary uh, situation. So starting in 2028, uh, the test will, will be 125 miles an hour uh, for the overall distance standard for elite, amateur, and professional events. So kind of like uh, the basic idea of the model local rule, but tied into that in 2030, this will be the rule for all golf balls in terms of making them conforming. That doesn't okay. mean that a manufacturer has to make golf balls uh, only to this standard. Historically, the only golf balls that are ever sold are in, in serious quantities are golf balls that conform to the rules. Right. And so there's a whole discussion about whether there will be an audience for non-conforming equipment. Uh, you know, the, the practicalities of actually eliminating non-conforming balls from the face of the earth, which is ludicrous and probably not going to happen. And, uh, and you know, what, how manufacturers are going to approach this situation and, and whether in fact, professional tours are going to endorse uh, this this situation because they've come out and said, in in the recent past, they weren't supporting the the model local rule, but they were looking for some other kind of solution. Maybe this is that solution. It's hard to say what the conversations have been between the ruling bodies and and the various stakeholders. I I can tell you, in talking to a fair number of manufacturers, they've already acknowledge that this is a real enough thing that they're working on mm. products and and patents uh, to develop golf balls that would meet this new standard. So they're they're probably not thrilled with the idea of trying to sell a shorter golf ball right. if, if in fact that's what they're going to try to sell. I think there's there's a whole host of unknowns and I think manufacturers uh, are smart enough to realize that hey they've made rules that restricted our theoretical development process and we're still here and we've just had you know probably the best three years of business that we've had in a quarter century so i like our chances to figure it out that may be the yeah. attitude the manufacturers have I would agree with that attitude if they did have that, because let's face it. I mean, I don't have to tell you this. Uh, we've got some really, really smart people that work at these brands. And uh, I mean, I think it's important for listeners to understand that they will probably figure this out. Not even probably. They will figure this out to some degree. But the other side of it, too, Mike, is obviously when news breaks like this, everyone starts thinking, well, what does this mean for me? And that one of the bigger things uh, that I noticed, of course, and you mentioned it earlier, was this conversation shifted from only the elite players to now all golfers, which I found to be surprising. And if I uh, speaking in generalities here, 
the testing parameter change could equate to roughly about 15 yard difference if my math is correct uh, correct which for most amateur players the 99.9% that we referenced are we going to notice that what's what's your view on that well i will t- tell you this that if the dates hold and we're looking at 2030 for these balls to be the conforming balls for all of us if if you give the combined R&D departments six years to solve a problem, I don't know that uh, they're going to solve it completely. I mean, you know, you look at the, the groove situation, right? right? I think you can make the case that in a lot of ways, wedges today are better than they were uh, when they were non-conforming. Uh, I right. think there's yep. more, there's been more innovation. There's, there's been more ways to get us the right wedge. I think golf balls are are going to be a similar situation. And, you know, the research is, is unclear uh, what, what this actually means. There, there's essentially two ways for manufacturers uh, and designers to attack this, this problem. So in other words, if, if you increase the club head speed on the test, the way to make the ball still pass the test is either make it slower. In other words, the core is less resilient or you make the aerodynamics, the dimple pattern, much worse. Right. Likely, there's a combination of both of those things that is a sweet spot for uh, a, a manufacturer to kind of give you the best of what you need. Let's say that ultimately means a 5% decline at the elite level. I don't know exactly if that's how that's going to play out, but let's just say that's the number. Um, there is some thinking that it's 5% all the way down the line. So if if you swing at 125 miles an hour, it's 5%. And if you swing at 85 miles an hour or 65 miles an hour, it's 5%. I wow. think that's sketchy, uncertain. Uh, I think there are a lot of different things that can happen in terms of the golf ball you choose to use as your swing speed decreases. So I, I think that that 5% number is not is not firm. I think there's going to be an opportunity for manufacturers to say, Hey, I know you love playing the number one ball on tour. We have a different ball for you. That's going to give you less of a penalty and give you the same sort of performance, professional level performance around the green. So I think there's, there's a, a, an opportunity for manufacturers. I think this is a, a, a public, opinion kind of marketing challenge in terms of how uh how first the governing bodies make the case that this is not going to affect uh, average golfers that much mm-hmm. and two how equipment companies are going to look at the issue and say hey you're losing less than than a professional we've we've clawed back some of the yardage you thought you were going to lose this is not a big deal so it's 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 kind of uh, a, a unique situation for golf because there will be a sense of, well, our our entire business has been um, given driven by play what the pros play, right? And and now there could be a situation where don't play what the pros play, you're going to get better playing this specific product for you. So I, I it's. There's, there's a lot of uh, public relations and marketing and and uh, 
uh, uncertainty about how this thing gets navigated going forward. And 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 let's also acknowledge that the very existence of the governing body's authority is in, in, in question at this moment, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, golf certainly is a, a, a trepidatious place right now. Um, so a couple things you mentioned there specifically about the manufacturers, uh, obviously with your work with your partner, uh, E. Michael Johnson coming up with the hot list, you know, every single year you, you speak to these manufacturers regularly. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but were they notified of something? I believe it was three years ago. Am I, am I right on that? So they were at least given notice. Oh, oh sure. This has been a technically, if you go back to, uh, even before the groove process, groove research process began, basically at that time, I want to say kind of around 2004, 2005. Oh, wow. Okay. The USGA basically notified manufacturers, hey, we're interested in studying distance. Could you submit golf balls that are 15 to 25 yards shorter? Now, not a lot of manufacturers probably did that. Some did. And, and the USGA had a lot of these golf balls to do some testing with, a lot of regular golfer testing with, uh, right. to see what that impact was like. So given that announcement 15, 16, 18 years ago, you can check the uh, sort of patent office and you can see that there have been patents for reduced distance golf balls going back to 2008. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so the specifics may not have been always known at the time, but, but patents are, are generally, generally broad. So the innovation is going to happen across a, a range of, of weights and resiliencies, et cetera, et cetera. So, but yeah, manufacturers have known that this is a potentiality and that they're, they're, they're sort of working the both sides of the street, right? We're going to right. have our, our team develop answers to this technology. And then we're also going to kind of work the ref on this and say, uh, you know, do we really have to do this? And if, if you're a good major ball company, you've got, you've got an answer ready while you're still trying to make sure that you don't have to use that answer. The Golf Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Cog Hill Golf and Country Club, who we are happy and proud to partner with once again this year. Cog Hill features 72 holes of championship golf, including the world-famous Dubs Dread. They have a completely renovated practice area and driving range. It's essentially an academy that you can go and spend not only the day improving your game, but at night they've got lights now and two bars as well as a food truck to spend some quality time with some friends and family. They've been doing it this way since 1927, folks. Go out to coghillgolf.com to learn more. Golf Unfiltered is proud to partner once again with Mizuno Golf for 2023. Mizuno Golf is offering their new JPX 923 irons, and if you haven't heard about these yet, go out to our YouTube channel and see a full fitting that I do with Mizuno at Coghill Golf and Country Club. These irons are spectacular. They've got three medals, five different options of irons spanning the player spectrum, so you are for sure going to find something great for your game. Go out to MizunoUSA.com today to learn more. The Golf Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Sunday Golf. Let's face it, golf bags are a dime a dozen right now, but Sunday Golf offers different models and lightweight bag options for any golfer, no matter the course or number of clubs that you prefer to carry. 
I personally use the 14 Club Rider 23 bag as my everyday gamer, but I also have a 6 Club Loma bag for my practice sessions and casual weekend rounds. You'll love Sunday Golf's casual take on the game, including their golf bags, apparel, and accessories. Be sure to visit sundaygolf.com to learn more. We're also brought to you by our friends over at Sharp Focus Nutrition. Let's face it, when you go out and play golf, you probably don't eat and drink very well. Well, a couple hot dogs, a few beers, yeah, we get it. Sharp Focus Nutrition replaces all of that with a systematic way to not only stay replenished throughout your round, but to also improve your game in doing so. Go out to sharpfocusnutrition.com to learn about their system. Let them know that we sent you. Pick up a system right now, sharpfocusnutrition.com. So one of the arguments uh, for the rollback has been land, running out of land, these golf courses potentially becoming obsolete. Uh, We, of course, have seen over the years, uh, most notably Augusta National and many others, uh, golf courses being lengthened. Do you anticipate, this is conjecture at this point since it's still very early, but do you anticipate these projects being put on hold for expanding golf courses? Is that still something that's needed in the golf space? You know, I I think that is a huge uh, motivating factor in in the decision-making process. I think there's some concerns about uh, environmental impact on on golf courses. I think those are somewhat ill-founded because we're still talking about a very, very, very small percentage of the universe that has the capacity to make a golf course play too short, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know... I think golf courses are going to be renovated for as long as there are golf courses. Are they going to be necessarily have to be lengthened? I think that sort of depends on what the golf course sees as its client base or, or what it's trying to attract. Uh, will Augusta national have to buy up more land? Boy, that's, that's really, I can't imagine uh, a scenario where an 8,000 yard golf course is the standard. Uh, it's, it's insert, certainly possible. And I think that's the, that was the fear behind the governing bodies when they look at someone like Kyle Berkshire and say, Hey, this is the prototype for what professional golfers will be. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any evidence that that's going to be the prototype. I just don't think consistent performance with 220 mile an hour ball speed is is where golf is going. I also agree with Sasha McKenzie, the great uh, biomechanist, tremendous golf researcher. This rule, if it goes into place, will fast forward developing a faster swing. So okay. every every elite player will be swinging faster. They're they're just it has to happen. And you know, love Brian Harmon, but. If his days weren't numbered and his type wasn't numbered, I, I think a tour with will not have space for players who do not swing, you know, conveniently without too much effort, 120 miles an hour. A lot of premium is being put on the golf ball, of course, but we all know there are other variables to distance, you know, driver conformity. That's been a hot topic as well, especially on the PGA tour side. I mean, with equipment manufacturers hearing all of this, are golf balls just being singled out? Should there be focus other places and will there be focus on other pieces of equipment? Well, when, when the USGA and RNA published their sort of areas of interest, 
driver was one of those things that they were looking at in terms of changing, uh, you know, what's known as the characteristic time or basically the spring-like effect uh, and, and rolling that back as well. And, and again, rolling it back for elite competitions. I think, uh, given what they've said in the past, I think there was definitely an interest in looking at other uh, pieces of equipment. I think there was a concern for making that universal, that there was, that was undue hardship on the, uh, on the average consumer. So I think that's problematic. I think there is a, a legitimate chance that a reduced uh, driver volume rule might be put in place for elite competition. Mm-hmm. I don't see a problem with that. I don't see why they wouldn't consider doing that. But they have a monumental hurdle to navigate first. How do we, how do we make the case that this has to be done and it has to be done for all golfers? I, I think what their argument is going to be is it's it's a minimal effect on average golfers, uh, and a necessary preventative measure for elite golf. Lost in all of this, as my good friend Steena Sternberg has recently pointed out is mm-hmm. women and girls. Yep, I saw that as well. Uh, sure. You know, I don't know exactly, but the clubhead speeds that we're talking about are in some cases 70 miles an hour slower. And you're going to take distance away from them uh, when there are no tees even more forward for them to play. So uh, right. again, the, the PR campaign that the governing bodies need to put together will need to not be uh, half-hearted. Yeah. Well, and there's certainly a lot of variables to consider as, as you're expressing. And, you know, when I think about this and when any of the uh, uh, types of golfers see this, I mean, this isn't going to make golf more fun for us. I mean, but it's not, that wasn't the point. It was something on the other end of that spectrum that we need to protect versus and i'm just kind of expressing some of the arguments but is it meant to protect against as opposed to heighten the enjoyment of the game or is that just a a an argument that really doesn't hold much basis here because people are they're not going to stop playing golf right you know personally professionally i hope they don't (laughs) (laughs) uh but but i i think the the is the game going to be less fun at the elite level? Boy, that's hard to say, but hey, every Sunday we watch NFL football. Do you think those guys are always having fun? No. <laughs> no. Okay. People are trying to rip their heads off. Golf is, I don't want to say it's too easy. It's not too easy at the elite level. If you made it more difficult at the elite level, would anybody feel bad? No. And, and, you know, let's face it. There are certain among us who watch professional golf for the car crashes. Mm-hmm. There aren't many, there might be a few more and how they respond to those car crashes is interesting. And you could say fun. Uh, will the game change so dramatically for the recreational player that it stops being fun? Boy, that's a hard situation. I mean, are, are, is a, 10-yard loss of distance on your tee shot, a, a, a tragedy so much that you you head straight to the pickleball court? 
Man, I, just, I just think there's I just think there's more of a of a a link, a passion, more of a it's more part of you than that. Now, right. let's be clear, it's not just going to be 10 yards or whatever lost on your tee shot. It's another 5 to 8 on your 7 iron. And so all of a sudden a 370 yard 5 yard par 4 could be driver 5 iron. Is that fun? Now, if there's a tee at 360, are you okay playing that tee? I, I, right. If it's more fun, I, I don't see any trouble moving to that tee box. So I, I think there's a whole scenario of, of kind of golfer ego reset that that's part of this. And, you know, if somebody's playing a 6,700 yard golf course as their normal length. And all of a sudden they're hitting one or two more clubs into a green. And after six months or two years or whatever the number is, at some point they decide that's not fun anymore, but they don't say, well, I'm not going to play anymore. They, they say, let's move up to the whites. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and, and you know, as, as somebody who just turned 60, you know, I might be moving up to something that's not white <laughs> before too long, but I still want to play, I think, you know, and I mean, I just heard Lee Trevino this morning on, on, uh, on the radio, he's 84 and he just found something still yeah. working on his game. So search never ends. Yeah. Right? And he's not, he's obviously hitting it shorter. And he says, I know I hit it shorter, but I know I want to keep playing. I keep want to keep searching. So I, I think the connection to the game is is going to, you know, overcome any sort of rulemaking impediment or or hurdle that you have to get over, and the interest will stay there. I agree with you, and and you know a lot of things that golfers recently have been frustrated about, such as slow play, people playing from the wrong tee boxes. You were kind of discussing, um, you know let's face it, there is potentially a positive impact that this makes for golfers. I mean, maybe slow play decreases, you know, there's, there's all these, I think we as golfers, whenever we hear something, or maybe even we as humans, when we hear something is being taken away, you know, or reduced, we have a immediate negative reaction to that. But there's also that other side of the coin, isn't there? Well, I mean, we have the recent example of of the groove rule someone mm -hmm. something was taken away in other words wedges spun less from the rough in wet conditions immediately going forward in 2010. it has not impacted interest in the game at all it has you know i would say as we spoke earlier it inspired manufacturers to solve the wedge problem in different and, and and more intriguing ways. And, and golfers have benefited from that. I would say recreational players have benefited more than elite players from that. Uh, so I, I think if you're connected to the game uh, such that you play every Saturday and every Sunday or whatever your, your interest is, I don't think a rule change ultimately gets in the way of that interest. And if it does, then maybe the, your connection to the game was just not that strong. Right. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Well, 
I know we're uh, just got a couple more minutes here, Mike. And thanks again so much, uh, Mike Satura from Golf Digest for coming on. Um, we're thinking early next week. We're thinking just an announcement. Imagine that everyone from manufacturers to, you know, entry level golfers are going to hear all this stuff. And there's going to be an immediate reaction if there hasn't been already. But do you anticipate cooler heads prevailing? Is this a matter of people have to kind of just deal with it and will adapt? Or is there a, I mean, will manufacturers have a case for lawsuits? I mean, how, how outlandish can this become? I, I'm searching for the cooler heads in this. I mean, I think every organization, every situation needs a commissioner of common sense. I'm not sure who has, has volunteered for that position yet because I haven't seen you can any. You do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have enough non-paying positions. <laughs> Another one. Uh, but, but right. I mean, I think the, the, my, my friend, David Fay, former, uh, CEO, USGA, uh, executive director said that we govern by the authority not vested in us. So in mm -hmm. other words, the governing bodies are relevant because golfers think they're relevant. And so the onus is on the governing bodies to say, hey, we're still relevant. And this is why we do this. And we're going to engage in a conversation about why we're relevant and about why we think this is necessary. The manufacturers are in a position to do anything. Yes file lawsuits, trot out all their tour players to say this is an unnecessary uh, hardship for the game. We don't need it. The game is growing. Uh, this is an uh, impediment to future growth and, and make it as ugly as they possibly can to the point where maybe they believe that they can change the minds of the governing bodies and they'll just dismiss this idea going forward. I, I, again, I think there, there needs to be somebody to make the case that that uh, this is a this is not a hardship for any level of the game and and it i don't know that either side has made made the case right and i think that's i don't know who the person to come forward and say listen the game is the thing okay your interest in it is not about these equipment regulations that doesn't have anything to do with why you continue to play i think why you continue to play let's examine that and if you're honest with yourself you just want to get out on the golf course let's let's get back to that totally totally and and you know uh, final thought i i've been impressed by some of the manufacturers who have responded favorably to this or at least we're going to work along this like our, fr our friends over at bridgestone i mean people who listen to this know that we have a partnership with them but they're an example of a company that has said look we will get this figured out much like what we were talking about before and it's not lost on us that there's a really really big voice of golf that is affiliated with that particular brand in tiger woods who happens to also be if we believe his past comments pro rollback now yes. there's so to your point about you know, who's going to be the commissioner of common sense. I mean, Tiger seems to uh, definitely be a default name that pops into mind, but we will have to see how that unfolds. Well, I Mike's, think it's yeah. fair to say that Tiger doesn't want to continue to finish in the bottom half of any tournament, but he would like to lead something. This would be a great thing for him to lead. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's Mike Statura, Senior Editor of Equipment over at Golf Digest. Mike, thanks so much on a Saturday for hopping on. I hope you get some rest. It's going to be a busy week, man. All right. Thanks, Adam. I had a good time. That's great. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.